The following podcast contains explicit language. Previously on the Serial Spoiler Special. I definitely came into the episode wanting badly to believe that Jay did it. Was it Adnan? Was it Jay? Was it someone else? Adnan is so earnest. Like, you can feel him wanting to convince Sarah. The absence of modern-day Jay is becoming more and more pressing to me in every episode. It's a Slate spoiler special podcast about another podcast. So what was with the shrimp comment? We don't know Dana. Who's Dana? It felt like an episode that arose a little bit out of a struggle to understand what was going on here. I think they're still figuring out this format, which in some ways, as far as I could tell, is unprecedented. This logistical explanation episode strained the audio storytelling format. Which I may wonder or... how wily they are. Like, are they actually following the narrative roles of a mystery writer? These guys are so fucking wily. <laughs> they are super wily. They're super wily. The thing that jumped out to me more than anything was the Nisha call, right? Yes, yeah. Hi, I'm David Hagland, a senior editor at Slate. And this is the Slate spoiler special podcast about Serial, the multi-part investigative series from This American Life. Like you, the Slate staff is addicted to Serial, which revisits the 1999 murder of Hay Min Lee, a Baltimore-area high school student. Her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed, was convicted of the crime. Each episode of Serial comes out early on Thursday mornings. After you listen to it, listen to our spoiler special, which we'll post as fast as we can. Today, we're talking about episode 6, called The Case Against Adnan Syed. My partner in these spoiler specials is Slate staff writer Katie Waldman. She joins me from our D.C. studio. Hey, Katie. Hi. And our guest this week is Mike Pesca of The Gist. Hey, Mike. Hello. Now, before we get into it, I want to make one point, which is that, you know, Katie and I have both been reading a certain amount about this case online, especially on Reddit. Quite a bit has been dug up. We have decided that, as a general policy, we will not refer to things that we have learned outside of the podcast. Maybe we'll allude to them vaguely if necessary, but out of respect for the work that Sarah Koenig and her team are doing and also out of respect for listeners who don't want to know things that haven't been on the podcast yet, you know, we don't want to quote-unquote spoil things that haven't yet been discussed, if that makes sense. Uh, but So you're spoiling Serial. You're not spoiling State v. non <laughs> Right. Yes. Even though, for instance, I will just mention one thing you could you can find out there is, you know, documents from from Adnan's appeal, which cover some of the things we learned in this episode. So so what are those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned about a map. We learned about a neighbor boy, a note. We learned what Kathy said, although her real name is not Kathy. We learned more about the Nisha call. And we learned that Adnan failed to page Hay after she disappeared. So, Katie, let me throw this to you. What of those various things that Koenig walked us through really stuck out to you? Um, I want to make two points. And the first is that I was totally underwhelmed by the Nisha call. Um, that was foreshadowed and then presented as sort of the nail in the coffin for the case. And I did not um, agree with that. But I'd be really curious to hear um, what you thought of it, David and Mike. But the thing that actually did sort of um, strike me as very fishy, very suspicious, was the not calling Hay after she disappeared. They seemed incredibly close. And I just can't imagine a world in which, you know, she's gone for five plus days and he's not calling her on the phone. 
And yet, wouldn't someone who is actively trying to cover up the fact that he killed someone page hay? Like, wouldn't that be an obvious thing that you would do to cover your tracks? In fact, I think you could look at that and make the case Mm -hmm. either way. Yeah, no, I, it didn't bother me as much either, even though I hadn't quite thought it through to that extent, Mike. But, it, you know, like he said, there are people talking about it at school. I, I, I'm still not entirely clear on what their relationship was at this point. Obviously, that's, you know, in dispute to yeah. some extent. I mean, the whole theory of the crime is that he's hung up on her, which he says he wasn't. He called the night before to give, you know, allegedly to give her his phone number. That seems to check out because she wrote his phone number down. You know, but I don't know, at this point in their friendship, would he have been checking in all the time or would he have relied on, on her friends? I, I I don't know. I, I, I bought that. And like you say, Mike, I don't know, is it really hard to think, oh, I can cover this up by, you know, paging her a bunch of times? Yeah. I mean, I can totally imagine it just not occurring to him, though. Clearly, there are holes in the rest of his story. This is not a seamlessly carried off operation. So what about you, Mike? What stuck out to you among these things? I do think it was the Nisha call, and this is what Sarah wanted us to say when she says, okay, put this in big letters, which gets to what you were talking about last week on the podcast, the limitations of the radio form. So how do you make this be a chapter heading? You say, all right, think of this as a chapter heading. And it's just that it's the one thing that there was no good explanation for. I don't know. I was conf- There were things about it that were confusing in ways I don't think that Koenig meant. I didn't. Let's explain. Let's go back and explain what the the Nisha call was. Uh, Jay had a non cell phone, and all the calls were calls that people Jay knew. There was this one call of a person Jay didn't know, and it was Nisha. And so that would show if Nisha was called with Adnan's cell phone, it would have to have been Adnan calling Nisha. But the time the call was made, that totally contradicts um, Adnan's story of where he was. Right. It was three thirty two. And the call lasted for two minutes and 22 seconds. So it wasn't a quick uh, hang up because one of his explanations was, you know, you butt dialed, but why would it have hung out for two minutes? Further explanation, maybe there was an answering machine. Answer to that, there was no answering machine. So, yeah, it seems really weird. However, her, her recollection of the call does not actually fit in with a story that would damn Jay, right? Because she uh, mentioned that they talked at a video store and that doesn't fit the timeline of when Jay worked at the video store. And I got a little frustrated that Sarah, and maybe Sarah was holding this back, but when the lawyer directed Nisha away from talking about the porn video store, where was, where was Adnan's lawyer? Right. Where was Adnan's mm-hmm. lawyer to say, wait, you said a porn video store. Right. Yeah. In fact, you know, we've been waiting for the episode. Maybe it will never happen, but, you know, probably it will about the lawyer. Right. Because she later got into serious trouble. At this point, I think she was maybe already knew that she was dying. And it it seems like she did not uh, make the best case. That said, I did think that previously the case against him had been presented as as flimsier than it was, um, which, you know, makes sense in terms of storytelling. But then when you hear all of these things, yes, they're imperfect. Yes, they're circumstantial. But they do start to add up. I mean, for me, the thing that jumped out was Kathy's testimony. Like I said, that's not a real name, but she seems to remember the night pretty clearly. The two of them are together. They're acting weird. There's this phone call. And then Adnan says, they're going to come talk to me. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? At least according to her memory. 
but that is pretty damning. She doesn't seem to have an, a, a vested interest. I mean, Jay That's is so true. compromised. That's true. I don't think that Kathy's lying. But what we know about memory, misremembering gets embedded in there more truthfully in many ways than what actually happened. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of memory experts who tell you that you could totally misremember something if you add importance to it. Like, this, if true, would really be damning for for Adnan. And so maybe she convinced herself it's true. Also, and this was weird in the episode, as soon as they got to the part where Adnan was talking to someone and Jay was in the room, I immediately said, uh, Katie, did you say this? David, did you say this? I mean, it's like, well, who the hell would he be talking to? That's a huge third person that no mm-hmm. one's ever mentioned. And then it took about four minutes to raise that fact. Then Sarah seemed to react to Adnan saying, well, who's the third person? Yeah, who is the third person? I'm like, right away, I was like, who's the third person? That's inexplicable. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, that adds to the notion. I think Adnan's uh, case would be that, you know, he's high, right? We know that he said... How do I get rid of a high? Supposedly, he went to mosque, right? And so maybe he was worried about that. Maybe he was worried that he seemed really stoned and people there were going to, you know, forget it. It could have been a conversation that maybe had a bunch of those words. And then after the cops came to Kathy, she's like, oh, yeah, that's what the conversation said. Or after she knew there was a murder. But anyway, it just seems like there are a lot of explanations for what half of a conversation that was vague uh, could have been. Absolutely. And if you're high and a police officer says, I want to come talk to you about your missing ex-girlfriends, like I would imagine that I would be panicking too. Just what do I tell them? What? How do I deflect this terrible attention away from myself, especially if I'm breaking the law in this other sort of misdemeanor way? So, yeah. And, and also, Mike, I completely agree that the desire to lock up a murderer and to sort of find your own experience aligning with this tidy narrative that would result in a murderer going to jail would be incredibly strong. So. Right, right. For no nothing that's damning against Kathy. It's just very human. This whole thing fits into the biggest meta conversation I have with myself with it, which is listening to this as a juror versus listening to this whole series as an audience member. And it There are times when it's clearly where I would say, well, I would never be able to accept that in a court of law, like like the the half of the Kathy conversation. As a juror, I would say, I got to really discount that. As an audience member, maybe you do say, huh, that does seem weird. But the odd thing is, and I don't think that this goes on uh, rationally. I think this is very, this is a process we're not aware of. But, you know, as an audience member, whenever you deal with a red herring, the red herring is put there by the author who's trying to do something with the red herring. But in real life, we call things a red herring, but it's just some random thing that happened. And so it's odd. We're experiencing this like any story. It's done in storytelling form, yet we're, we're kind of being asked to be a juror. And so weird things that might have no significance, it's hard to really just think, you know what? Absolutely no significance. Because a red herring in real life versus a red herring in a story was put there for a very different reason. Well, yeah, and part of the question you ask yourself as a listener is, what is the story that Sarah Koenig and the other producers are telling? Where in that story are we now? You know, how certain are they of the ending? You know, Sarah Koenig talked about that with you, Mike, on The Gist. She said she was something like 70% sure. But if, if they do more or less know the ending. Well, we're only halfway through the show, right? They've yeah. said maybe a dozen or so. And clearly the episodes prior to this were 
geared at raising doubts about Adnan's guilt and also, I think, raising some suspicions about Jay. And then this episode was all about making you think, you know what, maybe Adnan did it. Right? I mean, that's the story that this this episode told. And for the first time, even those phone calls that uh, we heard, which we, we've obviously heard many phone calls at this point between Sarah Koenig and Adnan in prison, but this time we heard those awkward silences. Yeah. Which right. she hasn't played for us before. I mean, that's a very deliberate move. There's a lot There's a lot of audio that they're drawing from. She says at one point that by July she talked to him for at least 30 hours on the phone. Now we're hearing these moments where she asks a question and he pauses. And it's a kind of hostile pause, too, right? right? Is there a hostile? That's an interesting... I don't know about a hostile pause. I'm going to listen to see if this is a hostile pause. I don't remember if I have a page or not. I- no, it just seems like... I know Krista was trying to page her. I know Aisha was trying to page her during this time to just be like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I was wondering if you had were in that group of like, where are you? Will you ask me a question? I don't know. I'm just explaining why I'm a- a- asking the. Qu- I'm explaining why I'm asking the question. <laughs> so that's just one moment where suddenly the tone of those phone calls feels different in this episode than it has in the previous. But there are a couple of more, uh, you know, pieces of evidence that she brings up that we haven't discussed. One of them is the neighbor boy. Now, for me, this is a, a thing that, that I kind of dismissed by the end of the episode because it gets to what you were saying before, Mike, about the way uh, stories are, are shaped around, the, you know, things that we already know. And in this case, this this boy didn't tell this story until April 28th, I think, or late April. And it seems like by the then... The body was found. The yes. The was out. He was in jail. Yeah. Adnan yeah. was in jail. Yeah. The story is probably getting around. Yeah. And so this is the sort of thing where this is a storytelling versus journalism conundrum. I think if this story were being presented in a very inverted pyramid AP style, you might not even reference it. Uh, or you might say... Uh, there was a there was a report that the police looked into, but discounted to the extent that it wasn't even brought up at trial. That a neighbor, through hearsay, reported that he had seen a body. But you'd have to make it so unexciting in the first sentence. The first sentence was a discounted police report, a hearsay report, because that's what it was. In storytelling, you know, you build it up. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's something. And then the last three sentences, you realize this was hearsay. This wasn't even pursued by police. You seem to have pursued a lot of things that weren't true. And what you just said, this was months after by secondhand through an unreliable guy. I almost don't know why it was in the story, except this is the case against Adnan. Let's put it out there. Right. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the one moment from that whole exchange that sounded really strange to me is when she's talking to the woman who, you know, was was. Uh, her name was Laura. Obviously, she was much younger then. But she's talking to her in the present. Yeah. And, and she says, did this boy tell you what his friend's name was? And Laura, her tone is sort of strange. She says... I think the guy's name was maybe Adnan. Really? Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. And, and that sounds so yeah. damning in the moment. It's like yeah. as if she's pulling from the whole universe the guy of possible who was names. on trial yeah. that you definitely watched. <laughs> who yeah. was convicted 15 years yeah. ago and yeah. in the yeah. present you're yeah. saying, I think. The guy, why, the, you know, maybe why Sarah Koenig gave you a call and saying, I'm doing a story <laughs> on this uh, guy who was murdered. Named right. uh, This guy was accused of murder named Adnan. It's a weird thing. One thing that annoyed me in an earlier episode, there was, you know, Sarah Koenig making this uh, very big deal about 
why would the man who found the body go so deep in the woods? Why would he go so deep in the woods? It seemed like a real conundrum. Then she goes to that exact spot and, and says, oh yeah, of course you'd go deep in the woods because you'd be seen from the road otherwise. So there's the thing that the uh, narrator can do, that the storyteller can do, can always build something up to seem like a mystery. And it's a conundrum. I don't know how much you want to do it. You want to make it compelling. You don't want to make it dry. You want to be thorough. So the way to keep us compelled is to presented as a mystery, but I think this thing was much less mysterious than at least the first few minutes of it seemed to be. I mean, what's your read on what happened? Is that this kind of uh, reckless gossip kid wanted to insert himself into the story and then, you know, he got mature and recanted or retracted his testimony later? Yeah, basically. Or maybe he even doesn't remember. I mean, if he was just, you know, telling this secondhand story that might not stick in his mind forever but i i yeah i think or maybe the story that the girl heard was changed in her mind or after 15 years or anything right there are a lot of possibilities but the fact that it was months later and that she thought it had just happened it doesn't Mm -hmm. actually feel like evidence but it does highlight once again this the way that that narrative forms and how events that have already happened then color how we interpret things that we, you know, yeah. are, are then recalling. You know, maybe we're maybe there's an inkling in some of us that would say, well, maybe the neighbor boy will turn out to be real. However, shouldn't use his real name, uh, just like she didn't use the guy who found the body's real name. And when she does that, I think the point is to say, let's keep him out of the story. And therefore, I think we could discount people that she doesn't actually give a name to. Well, that also, I mean, that the whole name thing we could spend you know, several minutes on because, for instance, we have never heard Jay's last name. And it it is interesting to reflect on, you know, why they're making those decisions. Did she tell us Jen's last name? Yes. So she's told us people who are much less important to the story than Jay, their full names. Hmm, Interesting. Well, so we haven't talked about the note yet. And for me, the, the weakest moment in this episode and maybe the weakest moment in the whole series so far, which obviously I'm, I'm hugely enjoying and think is extremely well done, was the way that Sarah Koenig treated this note, which was something that Hay wrote to Adnan. It was back in early November, so months before the crime took place. But the note said that she was really bothered by how he was taking the breakup, that life would go on and he needed to get that and he needed to respect the choice that she had made. So it it sounds very loaded, although when you st- step take a step back and reflect on it, you know, hey, these are teenagers who broke up. It's not actually that remarkable. But on top of the note, someone had written in pen, I'm going to kill. And we learned this in this episode. And then... Sarah Kane dismissed it in this really weird way. Police had found the note when they searched Adnan's house. But who knows about that one, right? Seems like a detail you'd find in a cheesy detective novel. So after she says this, she just moves on. And I, and I wanted to know who wrote I'm Going to Kill. Did they test the handwriting? I mean, it was written in pen and that was different. And I mean, how do you just move on from that? It, it may not be, you know, a smoking gun, but it's a significant piece of evidence. And the fact that it is like something out of a bad detective story seems neither here nor there. Right? Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think it gets to the confusion that we've been talking about. You know, this is a crafted narrative. It's like an instance of storytelling that we're consuming for our own entertainment. And it's also a real life crime, you know, a true crime story. So um, 
I'm more used to as an audience member, as a listener, being susceptible to, oh, I shouldn't think about it in this one frame when it's actually another frame. But it's a little disconcerting to see Sarah go into that frame of, oh, well, I'm not going to trust the red herring because it was clearly (laughs) placed here by Agatha Christie, who wants me to have a very fulfilling reading experience. It's pretty loaded. And I I didn't know if um, Koenig expected us to just move on with her or if she actually want wanted to plant the seed and she's going to come back to that um, because in general she has been so um, artful in the way that she presents this uh, this was something that jumped out at me as less artful or less successfully artful I would say that she's signposting which is uh, here's the important thing and so when she says Something like, this is important, niche is important, I think, to take her seriously. I don't think she's using misdirection. And when she says, uh, dismisses something, I think she means she's she's trying to help us to say, maybe we need to dismiss this too. I don't think it's like a double bank shot of, ah, remember when I dismissed this? It actually is important. But I don't know. We've never seen this form. We've never seen a serialized story like this. Maybe some rules will be tweaked. Well, and the other thing that um, was frustrating for me, you know, at the end of every episode, she sets up her her out and says, next week, yeah. right? So there was a previous episode where she said, you know, but why did the police believe Jay's story? Well, they were able to corroborate some of his evidence next week. I'm sorry, I mean, they're great cliffhangers, right? But this week she said, maybe we need some experts on this job next time on Serial. <laughs> and I was frustrated by that because I thought, well, I don't know if we need experts. Why not bring them in? For, it, it just was a little bit less, uh, you know, successful to me as tune in again because, you know, there could be several more episodes. Where is she going from here? Uh, I'm curious to ask you guys. This uh, show has been organized around the question of Adnan's guilt or innocence. Yeah. I mean, where do you if you had to guess, where do you think that it's going? On on that you know fundamental subject at this point, I hope it I hope it rests on a place where and here is why we think there's enough reasonable doubt to warrant a new trial, because if it ends with after all this it really does mm-hmm. look like he's guilty, I'd be like thanks thanks for those twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Katie? I don't know. I'm so confused. I think there's probably some kind of conspiracy. Maybe there is a third party. Um, I do think that there is way too much reasonable doubt at this point to justify someone being in jail for his life. But who knows? It was the Yellow King. Yeah. (laughs) It was the Crab Shack. It all goes back to the Crab Shack. (laughs) uh, Are there... Uh, burning questions for you guys. Are there things that when this episode ended, you thought, okay, I really, I need to know this thing, which they haven't addressed yet? I thought that sort of the language of the episode this week was really different from the past episodes. Like it seems much more crafted and more literary. And I wonder if maybe I'm just imagining this, but there was a moment where Koenig talks about one testimony being like an ominous buoy on the sea that keeps sort of bobbing in her vision. Um, and then she talks about sort of restructuring the Rubik's Cube of the case going over and over at it, it in her mind. I mean, did did the language seem any different to you guys this week? The buoy thing stuck out 
the Rubik's Cube works so well that it didn't stick out for me. In fact, that was such an apt metaphor that it clarified for me. Not that the buoy wasn't. The buoy kind of sat there like a buoy. Well, didn't uh, didn't Sarah Koenig tell you, Mike, that she, that when you spoke to her, which was just days before episode five yeah. aired, that she was still working on that episode? Yeah, and I think this is the process. Like, there's a lot of... But I wonder if with episode six... You know, this one, uh, the case against Adnan Syed, this one seems like one you could have written relatively early in the process, Mm -hmm. laying out these uh, pieces of evidence that, uh, you know, that the state had. So they're, they're not new even though they're new to us. And I wonder if it was just a little bit more elegantly written because she had more well, time. I think she's using a couple devices to signpost or to say, okay, here's an important part. Or when she breaks the normal, this happened, that happened, this happened. And when she throws a metaphor at us, the point is to get us to reflect. And in the last episode, she used some different techniques like conversations with Dana. Right. So that she used that third person. So they're all different techniques to get us to pay attention in different ways to different things. Mm-hmm. And I think the structure of this episode was interesting in that a lot of this happened and that happened, logistical stuff, eight minutes at the end, just about the nature and the character of uh, Adnan, which I think was good and smart because, you know, storytellers tell you what she explicitly says. I'm hooked because it's the story of a person. And so we got back to the person. And I think maybe, you know, she doesn't want to go two whole episodes where you think this is a whole story about cell phones pinging or, you know, tracing down logistical matters. Like, let's get back to the person and let's get invested because this is what got us invested in the first place. You don't have any uh, particularly burning questions, Mike? No, I'm ready to see where she, because she's going to, you know, she's going to say, and here's a thing that I hadn't even thought of, and it's going to be compelling, because she's done that three times, four times already. Right. Well, so for me, I've already mentioned mine. I want to know who wrote I'm Going to Kill on the top of that note. I don't know if we'll hear it, but we want to know what you think. So come to Slate. We'll post the podcast there. You can weigh in in the comments, or you can email us at podcasts at slate.com. Katie, thanks again. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And Mike, thanks for joining us this week. You are welcome. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Katie Waldman and Mike Pesca, I'm David Hagland. We'll talk to you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.